0: Hey, I'm Michael Woodley, pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're going to dive into God's Word and to see what it says about who He is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's Word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in His Word.
1: How are we doing today? Hey, my name is Evan. I'm one of the pastors here and honored to to bring the Word of God to you today. Happy Thanksgiving week, right? If, uh, if you're like me at all, Christmas can wait, all right? Christmas waits after Thanksgiving, and so we give it, it its props and its due today. Uh, I, I pray that you have a blessed week with your family and a great week. We're thankful also for, you see, the continued work on our worship center. Almost done, almost done here in the worship center, so we're thankful for that to be true as well. You can turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. As you're turning there, I want to share something with you. And so uh, I was cleaning out my truck here recently, and uh, it, you know, in the stage of life we're in, vehicles can get a little bit messy, and so I was cleaning it out, I was cleaning out the console, and the console, it got filled up with a whole bunch of different stuff in it. And as I'm cleaning it out towards the bottom, I find something, it's, it's a CD. If you don't know what a CD is, it plays music and those kind of things, it's round, uh, kids, you can ask your parents later what that is. Uh, but I find this CD in my truck, and it says Evan's message on it. I'm not quite sure uh, exactly what it's from. It's been down there for a while, so I don't remember exactly what it is. And so after I finish cleaning it out, I'm driving down the road, and I pop the CD into my CD player. My truck's old enough that I still can listen to CDs as I'm driving down the road in my truck. And it pops in, and as soon as it comes on, I hear my voice. I know exactly what it is. This is the message from the first funeral that I ever preached. And the first funeral I've ever preached was my, grandpa, my grandpa's funeral. And... Um, and I began to listen to it, I was early on in ministry, and as I listened to it, I'm just reminded of so much in that moment. I'm reminded of how much I love my grandpa. I love, I love my grandpa dearly. I miss my grandpa. And I remember the emotions of, of grieving, but also preaching that to, to my family and, and to our friends that, that, that service that day. And as I'm listening to this funeral of my grandpa, as I, tears begin to fill my eyes as I'm driving down the road. Why in that moment did te- was that the emotion that was drawn out of me? Why did tears fill my eyes as I listened to that funeral service? It was because of death, isn't it? It's because of the emotions that are attached to death and what we feel with death. Death is a problem that I can't do anything about. My grandpa's gone and I can't do anything about. About that, we all know that feeling. When I when I mention death, you know what that feels like. You know the brokenness and the helplessness and the hopelessness that comes from that feeling that comes with death. We felt it this week when we heard about the tragedy that happened at Louisiana Tech. We, we felt it this week that brokenness that was there. We we feel it every time we watch a loved one pass away, as the life just leaves their body. We feel the brokenness and the helplessness and the sorrow that comes in that moment we, we get we know that feeling when we get the news alert on our phone that another tragedy has happened somewhere in our country and, and, and we're just filled with this sense of brokenness and helplessness and we begin oftentimes to ask questions and to have emotions we get angry we we cry we, we ask God things like why God why do you allow this to happen we ask questions like Jesus if you're so good what do you have to say about this like, why does it keep happening? What, what do you have to say about this? Well, today, I want to tell you, Jesus will answer that question in the way that only he can. As we talk about this idea of death and how, what Jesus thinks about it, he answers it extremely clearly for us. If you're taking notes, the main idea of our message today, what I want you to remember as we leave out of this room is this. Jesus is the only answer to our greatest problem. Jesus is the only answer to our greatest problem. Say, Jesus. We're going to talk about him a lot today, so get used to that, okay? But Jesus is the only answer to our greatest problem. I told you to turn to John chapter 11. We're going to see here in John chapter 11 how Jesus answers our greatest problem. If you would, let's stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to go through the entire chapter of John 11, but we're not going to read it all right now. We're just going to read the first seven verses, then we'll take it in chunks as we go from there. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Now a man was sick. Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, we thank you for this day you have given us. You are a good God. You are a faithful God. You're the same God. We sing that today. And God, as we open your word, would you reveal yourself to us in ways maybe we've never seen before? Would you speak clearly to us? And God, as we talk today about this enemy called death, as we feel the brokenness of that, would we also feel the hope that you bring? God, I pray that your word today would transform us, that, that it would mold us and shape us into who you want us to be. God, I pray that as we learn from your word that when we walk out of this room, we would look more like Jesus than when we walked into it. God, I'm praying if there's any in this room today who need to know you personally, today would be the day that they would do that. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So we've been in this uh, sermon series. You, You probably know this. Our pastor's been walking through it. His words and his ways. And and the the meaning of that title is we've been looking through the book of John, through the Gospel of John, these idea of his words, which are the I am statements that Jesus claimed about himself, and his ways were the miracles that he performed. Uh, throughout the book and there's a specific reason that jesus is saying and doing these things and there's also a specific reason john is recording them it's not just to write them down he has a reason that he recorded them you've heard this verse in this series but john chapter 20 verse 30 you don't have to turn there verses 30 and 31 says jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book wouldn't you love to know what other signs jesus did wouldn't that be amazing but we don't have them it tells us here 31 These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Say believe. Believe. So that you may believe. These amazing things, he has done them so that you may believe. These remarkable statements about himself, he has said them so that you may believe. John has recorded them for us. It has been passed down through time so that we may believe. And today in John chapter 11, we're going to see Jesus do the most amazing thing he's done yet because it affects us the most and because he confronts our greatest problem. That leads us to our first point today. Our first point is this an enemy like nothing else. An enemy like nothing else. What do I mean when I say that? Well, let's look back at the text. It starts off in verse 1. Now a man was sick. Lazarus from Bethany. Let's stop right there. I'm not going to go that slow through the entire chapter, so don't worry. But we want to stop right there. Who is Lazarus? Some of you maybe could answer that. Maybe you've heard his name before, but who is Lazarus? Well, John really wants us to understand who Lazarus, Mary, and Martha is and the relation or or what they have to do with Jesus. And he wants us to know that this family really matters to Jesus. He tells us several times just in this little chunk of Scripture it says uh, there at the beginning that he mentions that Mary anointed the Lord with perfume. That actually doesn't happen until the next chapter we see in the book of John. But John's going ahead and tell, us and tell us about it here so that we understand the significance of how much she thought of Jesus. And also, they sent a direct message to Jesus. Not everyone got to do that, right? But when Lazarus was sick, they sent a direct message to Jesus so that he could come and help. And then look at what the message says in verse 3. So so the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. They reference that, Lord, you love Lazarus there. And then lastly, John just straight up tells us in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So Jesus clearly, John is building the case, and he wants us to see that Jesus, he clearly loves this family. He loves Martha, he loves Mary, he loves Lazarus. So when Jesus gets this message, But these people that he loves deeply are dealing with something serious. They send him a message. Say, hey, look, hey, we need your help, Jesus. Something we're dealing with is serious. And Jesus, he loves these people. So we would expect Jesus to take off. Hey, there's a problem, Jesus. You can do something about it. Get there, Jesus, as quickly as you can. Rally the troops. Get to Bethany and help Lazarus out. But instead, did you notice how Jesus chose to respond? Look back at verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he took off to Bethany as quickly as possible. (laughs) Nope, that's not what your Bible says. I hope it doesn't say that, right? Verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, hey, let's go. Why in the world would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus wait around for two days? Could you imagine, um, husbands, we deal with sickness really well, don't we? Like men, when we get sick, we handle it no problem. No one would ever make fun of us for that. Um, and so imagine today you got sick, and you're in bed, and you need some care, some taken care of. So you, you tell your wife, hey, I really could use some medicine and some chicken noodle soup. Like if you love me, just give me some medicine and chicken noodle soup. And she says, I, I do love you. I'll get that to you on Tuesday, <laughs> right?" That, that wouldn't be a real loving statement. You would expect someone who loves you to get that chicken noodle soup and that medicine to you as quickly as possible. It wouldn't feel very loving if they took their time. So why does it tell us here that Jesus hangs out for two more days? He gets the message that Lazarus is dying. Why would he hang out for two more days? I appreciate the fact I'm a simple man. Jesus doesn't leave me guessing. He tells me exactly why he's waiting around. Go back up to verse four. When Jesus heard it, He said, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory, say glory, but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus' timing here is so intentional. It's very intentional. He took his time to get to Lazarus. He didn't run right away. He waited. And it's intentional in that waiting. Why would he do that? Because he wanted Lazarus to be dead he wanted Lazarus to face certain death he wanted Lazarus to be dead dead right not just a little dead he wanted Lazarus dead dead and Jesus he is handling this whole situation different than we would expect him to if I asked you what you expected Jesus to do right here you would not answer in the way that he did in fact multiple layers of that are true we would agree in this room you can speak back to me here we would agree in this room that Jesus has the power to do anything right right we we believe that in this room that jesus has the power to do anything yet since i believe that jesus could have just stopped lazarus from getting sick in the first place right he he could have made sure lazarus didn't get sick but yet lazarus does get sick and then past that jesus could have healed lazarus from a distance how can i tell you that because he's done it already and so he could have been where he was and said hey lazarus you're healed and he could have healed lazarus but he doesn't do that and it could have took off for Bethany right away, but he also doesn't do that either. Why doesn't Jesus respond in the way that we think he should respond? He tells us to bring glory to God and so that he would be glorified through it. It's for the glory of God. Listen to me. When we believe Jesus has come to improve our temporary circumstances, we have missed the true meaning of the gospel. When we believe that Jesus has come just to heal and fix our temporary circumstances, we have missed the true meaning of the gospel. But that's often what we pray for, isn't it? Uh, If you evaluated your prayer life, how much of it is just spent praying for temporary needs? And look, that's good. I get it. I pray for them. Like the, the things we walk through in this life, it's hard, it's difficult, it's that brokenness I was describing earlier. We want them to be easier. We want Jesus to come right away and to fix our problem, to heal in the way we need Him, to heal, to restore our relationship, to, to help us with a job. We want Him to move just how we want Him to move. Mary and Martha, they wanted that too. They wanted Jesus to move in the way they wanted Him to move. Jesus, come fix it. There's a mess. Jesus, come fix it. How many times have you prayed that? Jesus, come fix it. Come make this better. I want you to know, for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus loved them deeply, but he didn't come do what he wanted them to do. Hear me today. Hear this truth if you hear nothing else. Just because Jesus doesn't work the way you think he should, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Just because he doesn't answer the prayer right when you want it answered, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Just because the situation doesn't get resolved in the way you think it should be resolved, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He has a higher purpose and a greater plan. We see that true here with Lazarus. You see, he's going to let Lazarus die for his glory, for the glory of God. So when we face a moment like Mary and Martha... And when we're desperate and we're crying out to Jesus, sending him a message, Lord, come fix this. Would you come help me out? And in those moments, as we pray to him, we we have to ask ourselves, what question are we asking ourselves? Are we asking, how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? Are we asking the question, how can I glorify God through this situation? Am I, Jesus, come fix this because I just want life to be easy and normal again and feel good again? Or are we asking God, whatever you take me through, I will give glory to you through it? You see, there's not a situation that you will walk through in life in which God cannot be glorified. And so, will the purpose of your life be to bring glory to God? Just because Jesus didn't come to give you better. I want you to hear this today. Jesus didn't come to give you just better circumstances. He came to give you life. He didn't come just to make things easier for you. He came to give you life and life more abundantly. And he knows there's an enemy that we face, every single one of us. The greatest enemy that we will face, and that enemy is called death. It's an enemy like nothing else. Life. And death, and he has come to give us life, but death stares us in the face. It's coming for all of us. Some of us feel closer to it than others, but none of us in this room are invincible. And death is coming for us all. And listen, Jesus has performed amazing miracles so far. We've seen it through this sermon series. But one last enemy remains, and it exists for all people. Think about this. If Jesus can't do anything about death, then what good are all the other miracles? What do I care that you can turn water into wine if you can't fix the problem of death? What do I care that you can walk on water if you can't do anything about death? It is our greatest enemy. Death is our ultimate enemy. Lazarus faced it and so do all of us today. Even 1 Corinthians 15 26 tells us they the last enemy to be abolished Is death. So I I want you to hear this. We feel this brokenness and this helplessness that comes with death, this enemy that, like nothing else, that we face death. But it's not just death that's the problem. It's what comes after death for all of us. And the Bible tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 15. I'm sorry. It tells us clearly in Hebrews 9 27. My apologies. It says, just as it is appointed once for man to die, after that, the judgment. See, death alone isn't just the problem. It's what we face after our death, and it is judgment. And let me tell you, we are sinful people, and none of us can stand up to the judgment of God on our own. And so we face this enemy, an enemy like nothing else, named death. You've experienced it. You feel it. You know it's coming for you, and a judgment that exists after that. There's nothing that we on our own can do about it but let me tell you friends there is one who can and that's our second point today as a man like nobody else a man like nobody else is an enemy like nothing else but i know a man like nobody else look at john chapter 11 verses starting in verse 17 we're going to drop down there it says when jesus arrived he found that lazarus had already been in the tomb four days bethany was near jerusalem less than two miles away Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You may not catch it because we read the Bible and sometimes we just kind of read it and go through the motions, but there's a lot going on right here, okay? Follow along with me. Lazarus, he's dead, dead, okay? He's in the tomb, he's dead. And then it tells us that there's there's these people with Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha likely would have been wealthy. We know that from this context because it was custom in those days that when you were grieving, you would hire professional mourners and grievers to come be a part of that process with you. And so these weren't quiet people. You don't get paid to be a mourner by just sitting in a corner, right? Like These were loud people who were wailing and crying, In this moment. And so you got Lazarus, he's dead dead. You got Mary and Martha who are grieving, and you got these professional wailers around them who are crying out and who are upset. And then Martha comes out to Jesus and asks him a pretty pointed question, or really makes a statement to him. If you were here, he wouldn't have died it's chaos in this moment. Lazarus is dead, dead. There's people crying and screaming. Martha is confronting Jesus. It feels a bit chaotic, doesn't it? Listen, I got three little kids. I know what chaos feels like. I live in chaos. If you're a teacher in here, can I get amen, right? Like, we know what chaos can feel like, and this is a moment of chaos. There's a lot going on, and she says, Jesus, why did you allow this chaos to happen? If you would have come when I sent you the message, if you would have been here on time, this wouldn't have happened. She asked him that. And again, I'm so thankful that Jesus gives us an answer here. In fact, he kind of said what his purpose was even before he walked into this moment. Look, look back up at verse 14. It says, so Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. <laughs> I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Say, believe. But let's go to him now. He says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so you can see what's about to happen and so that you may believe. Hear this today. Hear this truth today. Jesus, he walks into your chaos so that you would believe. Jesus walks in your chaos so that you would believe. What do I mean? He doesn't tell you to clean it all up. He doesn't tell you to get your life pristine and and nice and shiny, and then he'll step into it. He comes into your chaos right where you're at so that you would believe. Like, when we have, we like to have people over to our house, and when we have people over, I just told you we got three kids, and like, three kids aren't real tidy creatures, right? And so there's like toys and clothes and food crumbs everywhere. But when someone's coming over, we begin to, to welcome our guests, we begin to tidy our house up. Like, that means just throwing stuff under beds and in closets and all that, right? Like, we just get it clean enough so company can come over so they see that our house is clean. Jesus doesn't ask you to get your house cleaned up. He steps into your chaos so that you would believe. He comes to us in the middle of our mess. You see, in fact, in fact, he may be using your chaos and your bad circumstances to give you more Jesus. He may be using the chaos that you're in You see, Lazarus was dead, dead. If he had healed him from afar, then the the situation feels a lot more peaceful when Jesus shows up. But Lazarus was dead, dead. And he walked into the chaos, into that moment, so they could experience who Jesus really was. And God can use the chaos and the bad circumstances of your life so that you could experience Jesus in ways that you've never experienced him before. You see, he tells Martha this right here. She continues to say, look at verse 22. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, listen to this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Look at the question. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Jesus is a man like nobody else. He is a man like no one else. Why do I say this today? Because Jesus didn't say, I have the power of resurrection. I have the power of life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. That is who he is. He is a man like no one else. And the one who believes in him will never die. He has the power to defeat our greatest enemy and enemy like nothing else. You see, he's speaking here. Lazarus is obviously dead, dead in the tomb. But he's speaking here more of a death from a spiritual sense. You see, we were created to live in communion with God, to know him intimately, and within that communion came peace and protection and provision from God. But when we chose to sin, we separated ourselves. Our sins separated us from God, and we no longer experience that blessing. And because he is life, when we're separated from him, we experience death. And so it tells us here, that jesus says hey through me you can experience life once again you can be reunited you can be rejoined in communion with god to believe in jesus is to live with god you see life here that he is life it's not just existing it's not just breathing in and out and your chest moving and you just making your way through life life here it's the fullness of life he told us that last chapter If you remember last week, John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come so they may have life. Say life. They may have life and have it in abundance. Only Jesus has this power. He is the fullness of life. Jesus is the only one. And he asked Martha here a really, really, really important question that I will also ask you today. It says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Martha, she believed him. Do you? Do you believe him? So he he took his time so that we would believe He entered the chaos so that we would believe. And now he's about to do something incredible, something mind-blowing, something amazing so that we would believe. Don't get used to this, church. That leads us to our third and final point today is a reality found nowhere else. A reality found nowhere else. We face an enemy like nothing else, but we know a man like nobody else, and it brings us a reality found nowhere else. Look at verse 38. Verse 38. It says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. You see this word again right there. Let's stop for just a moment. You see this word again. I want you to know this important truth because we skipped some verses right there. Here, Mary has also come out to see Jesus, and, and Mary is showing her brokenness and her grief, and she's mourning the whole situation. There's the chaos of the moment. Lazarus in the tomb, people are wailing and mourning. These people he loved, Mary and Martha, they are highly upset. And, and, and in this moment, it tells us, easiest verse to memorize in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept, right? In this moment, he, he weeps. Well, why was he so deeply moved? Why was Jesus moved to tears in this moment? Where he, he clearly isn't upset that Lazarus is gone because he could have already healed Lazarus, and he knows what is about to happen right past this. So it's not just that Lazarus has died and he's mourning like we typically would. So why is he moved to tears? The reason he is moved to tears in this moment because he is seeing the effects of brokenness and sin. He was the author of creation, and he knew what was good and right for us, and yet we rebelled, and now he is seeing, he's living amongst the brokenness and the sin and the hurt, and it moved him, and he's seeing what it cost the people that he loved dearly. You see, brokenness, it grieved Jesus, and it moved him to compassion. It moved him to compassion here as we finish this, and ultimately it moves him to compassion to put himself up on a cross. Look at verse 38. Let's go back there. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. All right? I... uh, I have a a little bit of a problem sometimes. So I like to drink coffee. Any coffee drinkers in the room? Yeah, I like coffee. There we go. It usually gets people excited. I like coffee, and uh, I like to travel with my coffee. So I'll put coffee in my coffee mugs or travel mugs and, and walk them around. And I have a problem. I I don't always drink the entire cup of my coffee. You ever there with me? Like it's cold by the time you get to the bottom or something. So I don't drink all my coffee. So I got my coffee in these travel mugs. And not only do I have the problem of, I don't always drink all of it. Sometimes, some days I like to put a little bit of creamer in there. If I want something sweet, so I'll put a little bit, bit of creamer in it. And then my other problem is often I'll leave my travel mug in my office or in my truck or something like that. Anyone with me there? Sometimes you just leave them and you don't, they don't get back to the sink and back to the cabinet where they're supposed to get and there's a moment when you've left this travel mug in your office with this coffee with this milk in it and it's been there you know maybe one week or two weeks or a month or something like that I've never done that I'm just saying um and, and you open up this coffee mug and it's clearly something has gone wrong in there right like, something has clearly gone wrong in this mug. It looks like a science experiment is happening within your travel mug. And that that, that, that smell just hits you. And you're like, yep, something has gone wrong in here. And you just rinse it out and then put some more coffee in it and keep rolling, right? No, I'm joking. Something has clearly gone bad in there. Martha here, she says, Jesus, he stank, <laughs> right? He, he stinks. He stinketh, whatever translation of the Bible you like. Like, he he, he stinks. Something has clearly gone bad here. There's no doubt he is dead. And hear me, it's just the way that Jesus wants them in this moment. It's exactly how Jesus wants them. You see, this miracle was about something bigger than just removing their grief. This miracle is about Jesus being the power over our greatest enemy, which is death. Let's read the rest of this. And let, Man, this will get us fired up today. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe. Say believe. So they may believe you sent me. You see a theme there, right? So that you may believe. Verse 43. Let's get ready, church. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen stripes and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. The reality for Lazarus, the reality for Mary and Martha, for all the Jews who are standing here has been completely transformed by Jesus. Jesus. I ain't never seen a dead man walk out of a tomb. I don't know about you. And I know Mary and Martha ain't seen that either. And reality as they know it has been shifted as this stanky body is coming out of the tomb wrapped up in cloth and and bound. It says, get them burial clothes off of him because he is alive once again. They see that Jesus and only Jesus has the ability to change reality. Lazarus was dead, y'all. He was dead. He was He was dead, but death, hear me, death never stood a chance because he is the resurrection and the life. Death never stood a chance. Jesus was the only one who could change reality, and he still is the only one who can change that reality. If you don't think Jesus is the only one who could change that reality, what I want you to do is after church today, I want you to go to the graveyard, okay? And I want you to walk up, pick a tomb. It doesn't matter which one. Pick a tomb. I want you to yell their name and say, hey, you, come out and see if anything happens. And make sure you video it so we can make fun of you, right? Nothing's gonna happen when you do that. You see, I can't do it, but he can because he is the resurrection and the life. Spurgeon has a great quote that I love. He says this, Jesus specifically called Lazarus by name because otherwise every other dead body would have risen up too. Such is the power of him who is the resurrection and the life. It was specific. I don't know if that's true, but it's funny, right? Lazarus come out of that grave. You see, this new reality, was true for Lazarus, and it can be true for us today. But only, hear me, only if you believe in Jesus. Do you believe this? So I asked you a question at the beginning of our time together. What does Jesus have to say about death? What does Jesus have to say about this brokenness and this chaos and this hurt that we walk through? What does he have to say about death? I see here exactly what he has to say about it. He says, I am life that is who he is death has been defeated our greatest enemy has been defeated we see it here with lazarus but nine chapters later if you were to turn your bible there we read about another resurrection and as big as this one was this one is even bigger if this was the first blow to death this was the knockout punch to death jesus is life and death never never stood a chance when he showed up on the scene That's who Jesus is. He is the resurrection and the life. And today, just like Lazarus, you can have a story about your resurrection. Ephesians 2 tells me my Lazarus story. I've experienced death and been resurrected to life, just like Lazarus. Ephesians 2, you know what it tells me? You don't have to turn there. But Ephesians 2, what it tells me is that I was dead in my sin. I was separated from God. I was without hope. I was under wrath, and I experienced brokenness all around me. I was dead. I was in the tomb. I was dead, dead. I stunk. That's who I was. But God, but God rich in mercy, but God great in love made us alive again with Christ Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you believe he is the resurrection and alive? Do you have this new reality today? Is it true for you, church? Can you claim, just as Lazarus could walk out of that tomb and says, I was dead, but now I'm alive, and it's all because of Jesus, can you say the same is true for you? Can you say that you know God personally and intimately through relationship? That's only found through Jesus. That's not found through attending church often. That's not found through growing up in a Christian family. That's not found in reading your Bible every now and then. That is only found in he... Who is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe it? And when we say, do you believe it, that doesn't just mean head knowledge, of acknowledging something that's true. But when we truly believe it, we bend our life to it. I'm sure Lazarus was different after he walked out of that tomb. When I know who I was at the beginning of Ephesians 2, but God raised me up, made me, alive in, made me alive in Christ. It changed my reality. It changed how I live my life. It changed everything. It's a reality found nowhere else. So let me ask you today, do you believe this? I want every person in this room to answer that question. Do you believe this, that he has the power to defeat our greatest enemy, that he is Life. You can experience that life today if you're in the room and you can't confidently say i have new life that is only found in jesus today can be your lazarus story just as lazarus got up and walked out of that grave you can get up from your chair and you can walk this aisle and someone on our team here in just a moment man we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow jesus christ as your lord and savior you can experience new life. Listen, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Death comes for us all. We said that earlier. You don't know what happens when you walk out of this room today, but today you can experience life if you believe in Jesus Christ. Would you do it today? Do you believe it today? Here in a moment, if you want that, if you believe that, if you want to give your life to that, don't say, I'll talk to someone about it later. We don't know if later exists. Today. I'm going to call on you to walk down this aisle, to come up here to a pastor or to a minister, one of our friends. We would love to share with you how you can have this hope today. Don't let plans worry you, don't let nervousness worry you. Have the courage to walk forward out of that grave to say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Believer in the room, would you be reminded of your resurrection story today? It's a miracle. Would you not grow numb to the fact that Jesus has raised you from the dead? And as you believe that, as you surrender your life to that, would you trust his timing in all things, just as he tarried and didn't move exactly when Mary and Martha did? Would you trust that his timing is perfect in your life? There's not a situation that you will walk through in which he cannot be glorified. Let's bow our heads if we would. I wanna offer, anytime we hear the word of God, I wanna offer an invitation to you. The question is simple today Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the resurrection of life, and he has power over our brokenness, over our death, over our greatest enemy? And today, you wanna to surrender your life to him. What I wanna ask you to do is, after I'm done praying, for you to get up and you walk down here. I'll be down front, some other people will be up front. We would love to talk to you about that. Please, don't let a moment pass. That you coming down here to get that settled. Do you believe this? Believer, if you're walking through a circumstance and a situation that is hard, you got the phone call you didn't want to get, you got the diagnosis you didn't want, things are going on in your job, things are going on with your kids, things are going on in your life that are hard, and you need strength today to say, I'm not going to ask the question, how do I get out of this quickly? I'm going to ask the question, how can I glorify God through this? And man, someone on our team would love to pray for you. to to pray for that strength, for that perspective as you walk through the trials of life. After I'm done praying here in a moment, if you need to respond, if you need to say, yes, I believe this, if you need prayer, would you get up as we all stand to worship after we pray? Would you get up and walk towards the front? We would love to talk to you. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. God, I'm praying right now for people in this room who maybe they walked in this room not even realizing that they were dead, that they were heading for death. But today, they they have heard the clear testimony of who you are and they would surrender their life to you. They would say, yes, I believe it because life is found in you, Jesus. Would they have the courage when we stand up to walk down front and to tell you, yes, I believe this, I need help knowing what to do next. For those in the room who are walking through terrible circumstances, difficult circumstances, would they trust you in the midst of those that your timing is perfect That you don't cause these terrible situations, but you do redeem them. And you can receive glory as we walk through them. Would we do that today? Thank you for our resurrection story, God. Thank you for my salvation. For the miracle of going from death to life. God, we love you. your
0: name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.